Good afternoon, and welcome to this time of worship. We're going to be looking together at some psalms in a few moments, but we're going to start with a song that isn't a psalm, but it could be. It has all the ingredients of a psalm. It starts with trouble, and it moves us towards hope in God. Trouble may break with the dawn.
Let's pray. Lord God, we are glad to open our Bibles and find that you understand our lives. You know very well that we experience both joy and trouble, delight and pain, times of victory and times of failure. We thank you that when we open your written word, we hear from the God who knows what it's like to be human. And we thank you that we have an advocate in heaven who took on our humanity and will never put it off. We thank you that Jesus, our Savior, is God and man, both able to save us because he is God and able to feel sympathy for our weaknesses because he is man. We thank you because he is God, he is able to help us in our weaknesses. And so we bring to you our troubles. We bring our brothers and sisters in Christ in their troubles. We pray for Pat Salt and Sue Bradley. Carol Whitehouse, Jenny Christopher, Martin Hill. In fact, we could mention every member. If we went beyond medical troubles and we included family troubles, temptation troubles, troubles with doubt and discouragement and worry, Help us, Father, in our great need, show your great power. And as we turn in your word, turn to your word in just a moment or two, will you open our eyes to see your perfect care and your unfailing sufficiency, whatever our trouble. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalms are meant to be sung. They are songs. And the next song the musicians are going to bring to us is a version of one of the psalms we'll read in just a moment or two. It's a version of Psalm 123. Up to you I lift my eyes.
I should have mentioned also that those of you who are here this morning, there's the table is still there to sign up for um, the ladies' retreat, if you're a lady. Or if you're a lady or a man, you can sign up uh, to help with the Hong Kong, UK churches initiative that we heard about this morning. And if, if, you're, um, if you weren't here this morning and you aren't sure about that, you could ask um, myself or Megan and we can explain a little bit about uh, what, what's involved in that. But at this point, we're turning to the Psalms of Ascent. In fact, we're returning to them. We looked at them a couple of weeks ago. It's a group of 15 psalms that were apparently used by pilgrims in Israel as they traveled to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And last time we noticed they're called psalms of ascent because wherever you came from in Israel, you went up to Jerusalem, you ascended. That was true both in terms of geography because Jerusalem is a city on a hill And equally significant, because the temple of the Lord was in Jerusalem, it was literally the most important place on earth. It was elevated in that sense as well. So this evening we come to a second group of three, Psalms 123 to 125. And I hope we'll see that these pilgrim songs have plenty of help and encouragement for you and me. Because as modern pilgrims, we worship the same Lord we meet in these ancient Psalms. So let's read Psalms 123 to 125. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, As the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. For we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. For then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. 
Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Peace be on Israel. This is God's word. And these psalms help us consider three aspects of our pilgrim experience. Our gracious master, our history of deliverance, and our unshakable security. First in Psalm 123, our gracious master. When we looked at the previous group of three psalms, 120 to 122, we saw that group of three started with trouble. In Psalm 120, the songwriter spoke about the distress of living among those who hate peace. He said, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And here, the second group of three also starts with trouble. Psalm 123 verse 3 says, we have endured no end of contempt. We might translate it, we've had more than our fill of contempt. Or we've had it up to here. We're sick of it. To be the object of contempt is to be looked on as a fool. To be considered worthless or despicable. It means to be scorned. Being on the receiving end of contempt might actually hurt us more than being on the receiving end of anger. At least when someone's angry with us, they're taking us seriously. But when someone has contempt for us, they don't consider us worth taking seriously. For them, we're just a pathetic idiot. Someone has said about contempt, it goes deeper into the spirit than any other form of rejection. I think that's true. Many of, it's, of us would say, better to be shouted at than to have someone turn away because they think we're not worth shouting at. Just too worthless to even bother with. Maybe you've experienced contempt like that. If, if we continue long enough in our Christian journey, we will experience it. Sooner or later, we will feel the sting of being scorned as a fool because of our faith in Jesus Christ and our commitment to live for his glory. Here, the songwriter has had more than his fill of contempt. So what does he do? Verse 1. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. People who are arrogant and proud are constantly looking down on others. But instead of fixing his attention on those people who are looking down on him, the psalmist looks up higher, above and beyond the arrogant ones. He looks all the way up to the sovereign one, the one who sits enthroned in heaven. Bullies like to throw their weight around. And they do that because they're bigger than other people. But invariably, it turns out, there's someone who's even bigger than the bully. 
And that is the case with arrogant people too. They believe they look down on others from a great height of superiority. But above them, there's always the one who sits enthroned in heaven. That's what the psalmist understands. But notice carefully the way he looks up, his attitude as he looks up in verse 2. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. The songwriter knows the one he looks up to is his master. And he looks up as a slave looks up. This is not an equal relationship. It's not a case of, hey, God, mate, do us a favor and sort out these people who are ridiculing me. No, the songwriter looks up to God as one who is himself under God's authority. One who sits enthroned in heaven is not someone who can be ordered around by anyone. Not even by his faithful people. Sometimes we forget that. We forget that we ourselves are in submission to the one we look to for help. We serve the one enthroned in heaven. We're not the master. But that's not all there is to it. We look up as those who are in submission, but we also look up with great confidence because we know the character of our master. There's a reminder of that towards the end of verse 2. The master we look up to is the Lord our God. We've often noticed before that in our English Bibles, capital L-O-R-D translates the name Yahweh. The personal name of the one who sits enthroned in heaven. And when did God reveal his personal name? It was at the time of the exodus from Egypt. That time when God heard the Israelites groaning and crying out in their slavery. And he came and delivered them to be his people. Forever after that, the name Yahweh was associated with that work of deliverance, that salvation. So here in Psalm 123, when verse 2 mentions the one we look to is the Lord our God, it's a reminder we look to the one who is a merciful, delivering God. Our master is the master who hears his people and responds. But he responds according to his own timing, not ours. The end of verse 2 says, we look to him till he shows us mercy. We know he is merciful. We know mercy will come. But we also know the timing is up to him. And that's where the psalm ends. Mercy hasn't come yet. The songwriter is still waiting and still asking. And isn't that what our pilgrimage is like as God's people? We know mercy will come because we know our God. But we also know we do not control our God. And so we ask with confidence. We wait with expectation. 
And in the meantime, we continue in the service of our master. We get on with obedience to his instruction. We don't renounce him. We don't join the arrogant and the proud in their contempt and their ridicule. No, when our difficult situation stays the same and the contempt keeps coming our way, we keep on serving our Lord. Our Lord who himself endured the world's ridicule and contempt as he died on the cross for our salvation. That work of salvation is our guarantee that he hears and responds to his people in their need. And so we keep on serving until his mercy comes. We have a gracious master. And we have a history of deliverance. The pilgrims who sing Psalm 123 cannot tell when God's mercy is going to come. But they can look back to a rich history of his past mercy. Psalm 124 looks back to the Lord's deliverance. And because this is poetry, the dangers, toils, and snares are described here in poetic, metaphorical ways. Verse 3 mentions the danger of being swallowed alive. And that conjures up probably pictures of a monster able to devour its prey in one gulp. Verses 4 and 5 mention a flood a torrent and raging waters that could sweep people away. Verse 6 is different from verse 3. Now we're not dealing with being swallowed whole. Now the danger is of being more slowly torn and ground to pieces in the mouth of a wild animal. Like a rabbit might be torn to pieces by a wolf. Verse 7 describes the experience of being trapped caught in a net or a cage. So what actually lies behind all these poetic descriptions? Well, take your pick. The Israelites had enemies on all sides. They were regularly attacked by other nations. But attacks happened on an individual level as well. Not everyone in Israel was righteous. There were thieves and scoundrels and haters in Israel, just like in any other nation. Whether it's an army you're facing or just one person filled with hatred, it can feel like you're about to be swallowed alive. And when it comes to feeling like a bird caught in a trap, no doubt the Israelites felt that way after they left Egypt only to find themselves caught between Pharaoh's pursuing army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them. And as the waters parted in front of them and they stepped out to cross over, they must have feared that the raging waters on either side would crash down and sweep them away, as they actually did with Pharaoh's army. But throughout the years since then, there must have been countless times when one of God's faithful people felt that their troubles were just going to sweep them away. Or the situation 
that they were trapped in must have felt like it was going to hold them until their enemy had their way and tore their life to pieces bit by bit. So as I said, when we ask what lies behind these poetic pictures, you can take your pick. They can describe an almost limitless range of troubles that God's people might face. Troubles that seem too great and too overwhelming for us. But look how all of these troubles are used in the psalm. Verse 1 says they are troubles that would have defeated us if the Lord had not been on our side. By ourselves, all these troubles were too much for us. But because the Lord has been on our side, the monsters haven't swallowed us. The flood hasn't engulfed us. The raging waters haven't swept us away. The trap didn't hold us. The enemy's teeth didn't grind us to pulp. Because the Lord has been on our side, we've escaped. We're still here. Still moving forward. Able to testify with the words at the end of verse 8. As we look back, we can say, Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And as you and I read this psalm, many, many years after it was written, as we read it, it's inviting us to look back on our own personal history of the Lord's help and deliverance. Where would you be if the Lord hadn't been on your side? Where would I be? What pit of defeat would you be lying in? What raging waters would have swept you away? What family situation would have engulfed you in despair? What enemy attack would have swallowed you whole? You might say, but sin has conquered me. Despair has engulfed me. The attacks of my enemies have swallowed me up. No, they haven't. You're still here. You may not be comfortable, you may not be carefree, but you're still here. So can't you say with the Apostle Paul, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. That's what Psalm 124 is talking about. Not an absence of trouble, but the experience of God's protection and care in the midst of our trouble. So our trouble doesn't destroy us. And can't we all testify to that? And even if our life has been fairly uneventful and trouble-free, 
In that case, don't we have to praise the Lord for the enemies he's warded off without us even knowing about them? The raging waters he's diverted from our path while we were oblivious to their existence. Traps he's broken us free from before we even knew we were in them. Maybe even the destructive decisions we made ourselves that he mercifully neutralized and brought to nothing. Do we ever praise God for the times he's brought preemptive deliverance from troubles that were ready to land on us but never did? Maybe we'd say, yeah, but I wish he'd work that way all the time. Why doesn't he swat away all our troubles before they land? Eugene Peterson gives us what I think is a helpful answer. He says, faith develops out of the most difficult aspects of our existence, not the easiest. No doubt there are many reasons why God often chooses to sustain us in the midst of our trouble rather than stopping the trouble from ever coming at all. There might be many different reasons, but surely one of the main reasons that he often works that way is to build our faith in his delivering power. As we look back on real enemies he has snatched us away from and real troubles he has carried us through. about the greatest deliverance we've experienced. We mentioned it earlier, the deliverance Jesus brought on the cross. Unless we grasp the real trouble we were in, we'll never appreciate the wonder of that deliverance. Romans chapter 5 says about that trouble, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Jesus Christ didn't die for us because we were okay. He died for us because we were damned to hell for our sin. Satan had our lives between his teeth. And our sin would have swept us away eternally. The shocking truth of these verses is that even then, even while we were enemies of the perfectly holy God because of our sin, even then the Lord was on our side. Christ came to deliver us from our captivity. So even if you've had the smoothest life imaginable, even so, if you're a Christian, you can still praise God for the history of his deliverance in your life. His salvation from sin and eternal death. And you can look forward to the future with confidence. The reason you can look forward with confidence is because of your unshakable security. We said these psalms of ascent 
were used on the way to Jerusalem, also known as Zion. And in Psalm 125, Jerusalem's security becomes a picture of the pilgrim's security. Verse 1 says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. And what we need to see is this unshakability is true even amidst the kind of experiences described in Psalm 124. You feel like you're being attacked by angry monsters or struggling to stay afloat in raging waters. It applies then too. And this unshakability is true when we're enduring the contempt that was mentioned in Psalm 123. God's people are unshakably secure, whatever goes on. If you look down to verse 3 here in Psalm 125, apparently this psalm was written in a situation where the scepter of the wicked is over God's people. A scepter is a sign of authority. It was a rod of some kind that the king or queen held in their hand, but it symbolized their authority. So verse 3 may be referring to a situation where there's an unjust and evil government in place. Maybe a time when one of Israel's enemies had the upper hand. Could be. But the scepter of the wicked could just as easily be talking about evil itself having the upper hand. It might not be referring to a foreign king. It might mean that society is just rotten with deceit and evil to the point where it becomes oppressive. Like evil itself is a king ruling on a throne. There were certainly times when it was like that under Israelite kings, like Ahab or Manasseh and others. And the point is, even when things are as bad as that, verse 1 is still true. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. The city of Jerusalem is very well positioned. It has steep slopes on three sides. The book of 2 Samuel tells us the people living there were so confident in its security, they said a handful of blind and lame people could defend the city successfully. It was a secure city on a hill. But of course, the psalmist has in mind a whole other level of security. The city of God has a lot more than geography in its favor. Verse 2 says, As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. Jerusalem isn't actually built on the highest point in the area. On all four sides, there are higher peaks. And the songwriter compares the Lord's enveloping care to those hills that envelop Jerusalem. It's like the Lord has his arms around the city. Just like the mountains are around it. What could be more secure than a city wrapped in God's arms? 
And as verse 2 reminds us, this is really about God's people being enveloped in his protecting arms. And the people in that privileged position are secure both now and forevermore. Even when they face contempt, even when their circumstances are like floods that threaten to engulf them, or raging waters that threaten to sweep them away, God's people are secure even when they live under the scepter of the wicked. Even when the scepter of the wicked is at its worst, still the Lord surrounds his people as the mountains surround Jerusalem. Of course, when you and I are in trouble, we don't usually feel like a city surrounded by protective mountains. We're more likely to feel like a house of cards about to be blown over by the wind. Or like a grape about to be squashed by a hammer. But this psalm calls us not to depend on how we feel when we're in trouble. It calls us to depend on the truth that is pictured for us here. The truth that however we might feel, we are in fact unshakably secure because the Lord surrounds us with his care like the mountains surround Jerusalem. And verse 3 assures us trouble, whatever it is, has a time limit. The clock is ticking for the scepter of evil, verse 3 says. It will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. Literally, it will not remain over the allotment of the righteous. The translators of the NIV have assumed the allotment of the righteous means the land of Israel. And that may be the case, but it may just as easily be referring to the life situation of the righteous. Because our circumstances have been allotted to us by God. And evil may seem to reign over our circumstances. But the scepter of evil will not remain over our circumstances. Because ultimately, it's the Lord who reigns. And Psalm 123 has reminded us the Lord sits enthroned in heaven. Far above whatever little scepter of evil might rise up for a while. Whether that's in our nation or in our own personal lives. The scepter of evil may rise over God's people for a while. But it will not remain over us. And look at the reason. At the end of verse 3. If the scepter of evil did remain then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. In other words, we might reach breaking point and we might join in the evil that's pressing down on us. Verse 3 is telling us, the Lord who has his people enveloped in his care, like the mountains surround Jerusalem, he will not let us be pressed beyond what we can bear. Now, we might want to argue with that. We might want to say, I 
have been pressed beyond what I could bear. But the Bible says, no, you haven't. And I don't just mean that's what this psalm says. In the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, it seems some of their Corinthian believers had been excusing their sin by saying, we couldn't help it. The temptation was too much for us. It was too strong. We couldn't help but sin. Look how Paul responds to those people. He says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Paul says, you serve a gracious master. You are enveloped in his care. And he will not let you experience more than you can bear. It will often feel like more than you and I can bear. Of course it will. But when it feels that way, remember the truth of the matter. God will never let the scepter of evil get so heavy that you have no choice but to join in with the evil. One day the scepter will be removed. And until that day, he will supply the strength not to give in. And if you or I use our hands to do evil, it's not because the Lord has failed us. It's not. It's because we chose to turn to crooked ways. That's the point of the final verses of Psalm 125. Verses 4 and 5 tell us being surrounded by the Lord's care doesn't take away our responsibility to trust Him and to live a life of faithfulness. He surrounds us with His care. He will remove the scepter of evil one day. And in the meantime, we are called to walk in His straight paths. The straight paths of His instruction. We're not to turn to crooked paths that seem to be more comfortable or more convenient. In verse 4, those who are good are also called the upright in heart. And they are the same people described in verse 1 as those who trust in the Lord. They're the same people described in verse 3 as the righteous. It's all the same group of people. In the Bible, good people, righteous and upright people, are those who trust in the Lord. People who take Him at His word and obey Him. That is biblical faith. It's never faith in ourselves and our own goodness. We've seen that in Deuteronomy lately. Biblical faith is faith in God and His goodness. Biblical faith is faith that responds to this good God with obedience. That's what the Bible calls good. And so then, the evil ones are those who do not trust in God. Instead, they trust in themselves. 
and they show it by doing evil. Here verse 5 says those evildoers will be banished. They will be cut off from God's presence. But this psalm is not a song for those people. It's a song for those who trust in the Lord. Even when the scepter of evil seems too heavy to bear. Even when the contempt of the proud seems too bitter to swallow. Even when the teeth of our enemies seem like they're going to tear us up. This psalm is for those who look back to God's deliverance in the past, who look up to him now as their gracious master, and who rest in his promise that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. Those men and women are able to find peace. Not because life's going great, but because they know they're surrounded by the Lord's care as the mountains surround Jerusalem. I encourage you to take the words of these three Psalms, take them and use them yourself. They're written for pilgrims like us. They know what it's like to be a pilgrim. So take these, use them, and find new confidence in our Lord's faithfulness to his people. Our last song is a response to the promises we've read this evening and the many other promises that Scripture gives us. From the breaking of the dawn, I will stand on every promise of your word.
As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. Amen.